You're listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Go ahead and take out your program. Get ready to write some notes. I hope you came with an expectant attitude. Y'all did. People up front. It's good. How many of you know that gratitude is never silent? That, that if you're grateful for something, then you got to tell that person. If somebody did something for you, you got to let them know. If you're, if you're thankful for it, but you don't say anything about it, then they won't know that you're thankful. And so gratitude is never silent. I wonder if, if you were to ask God, if you were to say, God, I'm just so grateful for all that you've done in my life. I'm so thankful and I want to show you my love. What is it I could do for you? What do you think God would say? What do you think is the greatest thing that you and I could do for God? Now, in order for us to answer that question, we need to first discover God's greatest desire. We need to view what he values. We need to see the situation he finds himself in. And in order for us to discover his greatest desire, to view what he values, and to see the situation he sees himself in, I need to give you a hypothetical scenario to help us relate. And so imagine that it's the 4th of July, and my wife, my daughter, and I go to Town Point Park right down the street to watch the fireworks. And several of you are there because we've arranged to meet there. And so we get there at 8.30, and uh, it's packed. There's thousands of people there already. But we get there, and we scope out a spot. We lay down a white bed sheet. This is going to be like our blanket. And we're going to spend the rest of the night here getting ready for the fireworks. They're going to start in about a half an hour, and it's already dark. Again, there's thousands of people all around. And so we sit down on, on the white blanket, and my daughter is just a couple feet away from me playing with her light-up wand and glow sticks, everything you need to enjoy fireworks, right? She's over here doing her thing, and I see that she's good, and so I turn back over to you, and we start to have a conversation. We're laughing, all that stuff, and then a few minutes pass, and I turn back over to my daughter, and I see that she's not there. She, she's not where she was standing, and so before I begin to panic, I think, okay, well, she's got to be somewhere around the vicinity of the white blanket. And so I begin to look around, and I realize that, that she's not here. She, she's nowhere to be found. And so I turn to you, and I say, hold on one second. I stand up, and I start to panic a little bit because I need to find my daughter. And I start thinking, where could she be? And so I begin to scan my surroundings in a 360-degree view. And, and I say, okay, uh, brown hair, uh, Blue, blue shirt, red shorts, pink shoes, light up one. Brown hair, blue shirt, red, shoe, red shorts, pink shoes, light up one. And I can't find her. Like, she's nowhere in the immediate vicinity. And so I say, okay, well, l let me look further. And then I, be, I, I distance my, my gaze, and I start to look around again. I say, okay, brown hair, red, red blue shirt, red shorts, pink shoes, light up one. Red, brown hair, what was she wearing? <laughs> But, but, but I'm looking around trying to find my daughter. She's gone. She's missing. I don't know where she is. And now I'm freaking out as a parent because my daughter is now lost in the darkness somewhere. And so I turn to you and you're laughing and you're having conversations with people. I say, guys, have you seen my daughter? And you look back at me and you say, no, we haven't seen her. She's missing. I say, yeah, she's missing. I need you guys to help me find her because she's lost in the darkness and we need to bring her back. And you choose in this moment to respond this way. Oh man, Pastor, that really stinks about your daughter being missing and all. But um, hey, we've been talking, the few of us right here, and uh, you know, we're just so grateful for all that you've done in our life. We're so grateful for how you lead the church, and, and, and we know that you put a ton of effort into this, and, and you know, sometimes we're not the most easiest people to lead, and so we just, we're so grateful. We're, we're thankful for all, all, all of that. And um, you know, we've been talking about how we can show that gratitude and thanks to you, and here's what we've come up with. The first thing is this, uh, we've, we know you put a ton of effort into those sermons. I mean, you spent hours and hours writing and researching and internalizing it, and we don't want to take that for granted. So here's what we're going to do. On Wednesdays, on a weekly basis, we're going to get together in a group setting and discuss your sermons in detail. We're going to bring our notes. We're going to talk about the nuances of all the words that you say. Like, we're going to dig deep into your sermons. And on top of that, we've decided 
that we're going to make coming on Sunday morning a priority in our life. We know it takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy to plan a worship experience. A lot of volunteers give their time for this. So we're going to make it more of a priority. Now, we can't come every Sunday, but for the most part, we're going to make it a priority just to show how grateful we are. And, and get this, we've been talking and we took up a collection and we're going to give you some money, Pastor. We just want to say thanks so much for all that you do. And this is cool. I don't know if you know Joe. He's been coming for a few weeks. But Joe is a great singer-songwriter. And um, over the past three weeks, he's been writing songs about you, about how great you are and how awesome you are. And he brought his guitar tonight. And so we're going to sing some songs to you, Pastor. I hope hope you appreciate it. And then the last thing I want to share with you is this. Um, Now, this was tough. We didn't all agree on this, so we had to take a vote. And majority ruled, and so we're going to do it. But once a week, we're going to come by your house, and we're going to cut your grass. And we're going to wash your car just to show you how grateful we are, how thankful we are for all that you do. Now, now what's this thing about your lost daughter? Now, if you took that moment to try and express your gratitude and thanks to me in that way, when my daughter is missing, I would respond to you by saying, I don't care about your attendance. I don't care if you sing songs to me. I don't care if you give me money. I don't care what you think about my sermons. I don't even care if you serve me. But if you want to show me how grateful you are, if you want to show me how thankful and how much you love me, then then what I want you to do is help me find my lost kid. Because she's in the darkness. And we got to bring her back. And this is God's greatest desire. This is what he values most. Yeah, you should come to church. Yeah, you should return the tithe. Yeah, you should read your Bible. Yes, you should serve. But if you want to know, what is the one thing I could do? What what is the one thing that I could do to show my, my love and appreciation and gratitude for God? God would say, help me find my lost kids. Because you and I were created in the image of God. We're his sons and daughters. And many of his kids are lost in the darkness. And so God would say, if you want to show me how much you love me, then help me find my lost kids. Because this is the greatest thing you and I can do with our life, is to live a life so that people far from God would be raised to true life. This is the greatest thing. I don't want to understate it. It's the greatest thing we can do for God. The thing that matters most when it comes to God is that we would help him find his lost kids. Did I understate it? Jesus said this was his mission. This was the sole purpose for his coming. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says this, the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus' reason for coming to this earth, the reason why he lived and died and resurrected was so that the lost kids of God would know the love of God and be returned back home to him. Jesus told several stories about this. He said, he said there's this one time, uh, there was a shepherd, right, and he had 100 sheep, and one of the sheep wanders off, and so what the shepherd does is he leaves the 99 to go find this one sheep, and when he finds it, he hoists it on his shoulders, and he rejoices. He calls his friends, and he says, celebrate with me because this lost sheep of mine is found. This is how important lost things are to God, that he would find them. He says that there's this woman. She has 10 coins. She loses one coin, and so she turns the house upside down to find this one lost coin. When she finds this one lost coin, she calls her friends. She says, come and celebrate me because I've found my lost coin. Jesus says, this is how important lost and found is to God. He says that there's this one time that there's this guy, he has two sons, and one of his sons comes to him and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I'm leaving. He thinks a life without the father is better than a life with the father. So he takes all the father's things. He goes and he lives his own life, and he wrecks it. He ruins his life. He comes back, and Jesus says that the father is standing on the porch, scanning the horizon, and when he sees the silhouette of his son coming, he says he breaks off into a sprint to go welcome back his lost son. When he gets to him, he doesn't scold him. He doesn't look down on him. He doesn't say what's wrong with you, but he embraces him. He kisses him. He gives him a ring, a robe, shoes, and he says, kill the fattened calf because we're about to celebrate. Jesus said, if you want to picture God, if you want to know what God thinks of you, if you want to know God's greatest desire, this is lost kids coming home. Picture God as a shepherd who leaves the 99 to go find the one lost sheep because the one lost sheep matters that much to him. Picture him as a woman who 
has 10 coins. She loses one of them, and she stops at nothing to find the lost coin. And when she finds it, she celebrates. Picture him as a lovesick father who longs for his kids created in his image to return back home to him. He said, when you want to think of God, this is what you should think of. And if you want to know what matters most to God is that his lost kids come home. Uh, Philip Yancey, the author of What's So Amazing About Grace, uh, explains these stories in this way. Uh, Jesus says, in effect, do you want to know what it feels like to be like God? When one of these two-legged humans pay attention to me, it feels like I just reclaimed my most valuable possession, which I had given up for loss. To God himself, it feels like the discovery of a lifetime. When you and I say yes to Jesus, when we decide to follow him, to be immersed into him for God, it's like he reclaimed the discovery of a lifetime. Henri Nouwen points this out. He says, God rejoices, not because the problems of the world have been solved, not because all human pain and suffering have come to an end, nor because thousands of people have been converted and are now praising him for his goodness. No, God rejoices because one of his children who was lost has been found. The only time we see that there's a party that takes place in heaven is when one of God's lost children come home. Jesus says that when one person turns to God, the angels rejoice in heaven. They don't rejoice when you read your Bible. They don't rejoice when you serve. They don't rejoice when you give. They don't rejoice when you attend church. But they rejoice when God's lost kids come home. And the greatest thing you and I could ever give our lives to is to join Jesus in this mission to seek and save that which was lost. That's what counts in eternity. So if you love God, if you want to show him how grateful you are to him, if you just want to say, thanks, God, for the way that you've shown up in my life and the way that you've delivered me, then what you can do is follow the final command that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 28. And this is the final teaching in this series. He might have meant it. Uh, throughout this series, we've been looking at some of the tough teachings of Jesus. Uh, and each week, we're coming to the conclusion afterwards that Jesus might have meant it. <laughs> that when Jesus said some of these tough things, he might have actually meant what he said. He might have actually thought that you and I would live it out. And what I want to teach us today really is the greatest command that Jesus gives us. It's called the Great Commission, and it's found in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. So if you have a Bible, would you open up to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to start reading in verse 16. We'll also have the words for on the screen as well, but it's Matthew 28, verse 16. Now, these are the last words as recorded by Matthew. And last words are important. And Jesus could have chosen any last words to say, and Matthew could have chosen any last words to record, but he chose these last words, and here's why they're so important. Because Jesus' mission was to seek and save that which was lost. That's why he came. But when Jesus leaves, he hands his mission to his followers. He says to his disciples, okay, this is why I came, but now the mission is yours. Because I've come not just to die and resurrect, but to start a movement so that God's lost kids would know that God loves them. Here's what he says, Matthew 28, 16. When the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I command you. And surely... I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said, okay, I've come to seek and save the lost. And now I'm passing this mission on to you to seek and save the lost as well. To go into all the world to proclaim to God's lost kids that God loves them. And it's in this moment where Jesus gives his disciples these monumental marching orders that he realizes what he's saying to them is pretty impossible. Like there's no way that they can do this on their own. And so what he promises is to be with them. He says, and I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
And I love this. You know, it's fascinating to me that there's three instances in the scriptures where Jesus promises his presence. One is when we join him in his mission to seek and save that which was lost. When we live our lives so that people far from God would be raised a true life. He said, I'll be with you then. But another instance where he says, I'll be with you, is when we serve other people. In Matthew 25, 40, Jesus said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so it's like when we serve other people, Jesus said, you're serving me. I'm right there in your midst. If you, if you feel far from me, if you feel like I'm distanced, all, all you got to do is serve, and you'll know that I'm right there with you because you're serving me. Uh, the, the third instance where Jesus promises to be with us is in Matthew 18, 20. He says, for where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. And so when we gather like this with an expectant attitude, Jesus said, I'll be right there with you. So three times Jesus promises his presence in our lives. When we join him in his mission so that people far from God would be raised to true life, when we serve other people, and when we gather with an expectant attitude with other believers. And so I don't know how you feel right now in your life when it comes to your relationship with God, but if you feel like God is far from you, if you feel distant from him, can I just let you know that it's not because he moved, but it's because you moved? And if you want to feel his presence again, if you want to know that he's close, because he already is close, if you want to know it, he said, then seek and save that which was lost. Give your life to telling people about me. If if you want to feel me close to you, then serve other people. Because when you serve, it's like you're serving me. And then make sure to make it a priority to gather with other believers. This This is one of those instances where this is a priority and we come with an expectant attitude. If your faith feels flimsy, then it's time to trust God in this and say, okay, I'm going to seek and save the lost. I'm going to give my life to that. I'm going to serve. And I'm going to make being here a priority. It's in those times that Jesus promises, I'll be with you. And you'll know that I'm with you. And so Jesus tells these disciples of his, his followers, some some really uh, extraordinary things, uh, and he gives them a command that seems almost impossible. And, and I want you to first notice uh, a few things in this command. We're going to break this down, and we're going to dive deeper into this, because uh, I want to point out several principles to you. The, the first is this. Notice in Matthew twenty-eight sixteen, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. To the mountain where Jesus told them to go. The first thing I want you to know is that the disciples did what Jesus told them to do. The disciples did what Jesus told them to do. They met him at the mountain in Galilee. Here's here's why this is significant. Jesus was crucified and resurrected in Jerusalem. He showed himself to his disciples in Jerusalem. He spent most of his time after his resurrection with his disciples in Jerusalem. Ultimately, Jesus ascends in Bethany near Jerusalem. What we just read in Matthew 28 uh, is not where Jesus ascends, but he tells them to go to a mountain in Galilee. Galilee is 70 miles away from Jerusalem. It's a three-day journey by walking. Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to meet me at this mountain in Galilee that's 70 miles away. And when they meet him there, he tells them, Matthew 28, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything, and I'll be with you, right? So he says this. Then the disciples who have just traveled to Galilee, 70 miles, walk back to Jerusalem, 70 miles, 140 miles round trip, a six-day journey. They meet with Jesus in Bethany, and in Acts chapter 1, he essentially says the same thing to them. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if I'm one of Jesus' disciples, I know that he was crucified in Jerusalem, he resurrected in Jerusalem, he showed himself to us in Jerusalem, he's going to ascend from Bethany, which is near Jerusalem. Why do we have to make this journey 70 miles to this mountain in Galilee to hear what you got to say. Can't you just tell us back here in Jerusalem? Why do we got to walk all the way over here and then we got to walk all the way back 140 miles to hear what you could have told us in Jerusalem? Here's why the disciples had to go to Galilee to meet him at the mountain. 
because it's at the mountain that they receive their marching orders. And if they don't meet him at the mountain, then they miss out on the mission he's going to give them. Let me explain it to you like this. If they're unwilling to travel 70 miles to the mountain in Galilee, then they will definitely be unwilling to do what he's about to tell them. If you can't travel 70 miles to meet me at the mountain in Galilee, then you're going to be terrified when I tell you go into all the world and make disciples. See, they got to meet him at the mountain because that's the first step of faith. Can I trust you to meet me at the mountain so that I can trust you to go and make disciples? See, you got to do this little thing, meet me at the mountain, so that I can give you the task of a bigger thing, going into all the world and making disciples. See, sometimes we want great things from God, but we're not willing to meet him in the small things. God, would you bless me financially? Rain down millions on me. Okay, but before I bless you in the big things, how about we just uh, try working on a budget first? Because you don't know how to handle what you got, and if I give you more, it'll blow you away. God, would you bring somebody in my life? I just need to love somebody. I want to be with somebody. I want to marry somebody. Okay, well, before I do this greater thing in your life, how about you meet me at the mountain and work on yourself? Because you got some jacked up tendencies right now. And if I bring somebody into your life, you're going to jack them up. And so meet me at the mountain first so that we could do even greater things in your life. Y'all aren't with me. Let me, let me, let me explain it this way. Let me, let, maybe this will help you. Every week uh, we get together and we sing songs to God. And these are, these are grand songs. These are lofty songs. These are, are beautiful songs. Sometimes they're prayers that we have to God. One of the songs that we sing is called Run To You. It was written right here in this house. And um, there's, there's a part where, where the lyrics say this. Go, go ahead. Oh, the mountains I'd move to be yours. The seas I would leave in my wake. I fall to my knees before your grace and pray that my heart could love like yours. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's beautiful. That's grand. That's lofty. I mean, in it, we sing, oh, the mountains I'd move. Like, get out of my way, mountain. I got to go be with Jesus. The seas I would leave in my wake. I don't need a boat or a sea do. I'm going to just run so fast. I'm going to run on the water and leave the seas in my wake so that I could be with Jesus. And I fall to my knees before your grace, God. And that's beautiful. And that's awesome. And I think sometimes when some of us sing that, God is saying, that's great. I love it that you want to move mountains to be in my presence, that you would leave seas in my wake. I want that for you. Go ahead and move the mountains. Leave the seas in your wake. But first, can we just work on you getting to church on time? Can can we just work on you being consistently at church? Maybe some of us instead, we need to sing, take me to church, right? Like, uh, see, what we got to do is we got to meet them at the mountain before we can go and make disciples. It starts with the small things first. Here, we sing, we, we sing another song. I, I love this song. Go ahead. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my savior man isn't that beautiful spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. I just want to go. I want to have no borders on my trust. God, I'm falling into you. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. Would you just do that in me? God, I want to... 
I want to go so deep with you. And, and I think God sometimes is saying, that's awesome. That's beautiful. I want to take you. I want to take the borders off your trust. I want to take you deeper. But first, you got to get off the shore. Because right now, you're standing in the shallow end. You're playing in the kiddie pool because you're not willing to serve. You're still sitting in a seat. If you're not willing to serve because of convenience or comfortability or because of busyness, then how in the world am I going to lead you to deeper waters? You're going to drown. I can't do that because you're not ready for it. Oh, Spirit, wherever you would lead me, but just not in kids' ministry, though, because I don't like kids, so don't, I don't want to serve there. Wherever you would lead me, God, oh, wherever, wherever you would lead me. As long as I can just sit in a seat, though, I don't want to. See, we got to meet Jesus at the mountain before we can go and make disciples. It's got to start with the small things. Here, there's, there's another song we sing. I love this. Go ahead. All our fathers saw in the days of old. Would you do it again? Do it again. All the stories told, all the miracles, would you do it again, do it again? You said, consecrate yourselves to me, and you'll see amazing things, we need your revival. give it up for our band. They're good. One of the best. Thank you. Thank you. All our fathers saw in the days of old. God, the miracles that we read about in the Bible, would you do it again? Do it again. 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 I want to see it in my life, God. All the miracles. All of it. And I think God is saying, that's great. I want to do some miracles in your life. I really do. But before I can do some miracles in your life, how about we start with gratitude? Because you've been taking some things for granted, and you haven't had an expectant attitude, and expectancy is the fertile soil for miracles. And so let's work on your gratitude first. That's great. I'm glad that you want to see a revival in your finances, but how about you stop robbing me and return the tithe? How about that? Listen, I I know that you want a resurrection to take place in your marriage, but how about we just focus on how you talk? to one another first. I know that, oh my God, I'm not getting any love on this. I know that this is, this is too close. It's too close. I could just talk about rainbows and clouds and unicorns if y'all want now. See, we got to meet them at the mountain before we can make disciples. I think sometimes God is saying, that's great that you want my Holy Spirit fire to burn all up inside you and get you. But how about we just work on your negative attitude? Because I can't work in that negativity. You want me to do something in your life, but that negative attitude just stagnates everything I want to do. Let's fix that first. See, we got to meet God at the mountain before we can go and make disciples. The reason Jesus made his disciples walk 70 miles to meet him at this mountain in Galilee is because he wanted to see, can I trust him? Because I'm about to tell him some major marching orders. And if I can't trust him to meet me at the mountain, there's no way they're ever going to do what I'm going to tell him to do. Listen, God has a greater purpose for your life. He has a greater destiny for you. It's one that will terrify you. Going to all the world and make disciples. It's not metaphorical or figurative or maybe you could, but this is what I'm calling you to do. Go into all the world and make disciples, and that will terrify us. But he needs to know that he can trust us in the small things by meeting him at the mountain first. And so Matthew chapter 28, 16 starts off. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They met him at the mountain before they could make disciples. 
When they saw him, verse 17, they worshiped him, but some doubted. But some doubted. Now, it says the 11 disciples, there were 12 disciples of Jesus. One of them, Judas Iscariot, betrayed Jesus. He handed him over to be crucified. He felt so seized with remorse that he killed himself. And now there's just 11 disciples. And it says here that the 11 disciples went to the mountain where Jesus told them to meet him. And they worshiped him, but some doubted. I hope those three words encourage you. But some doubted. Because here's the 11 disciples of Jesus. They've spent the past three years with Jesus, face to face, close to him. They've seen him heal people who couldn't walk. They saw him restore sight to the blind, uh, hearing to the deaf. They, They saw him feed thousands of people. They saw Jesus take on a corrupt system. They saw Jesus resurrect. Some of them, even one of them, Thomas even put his hands in his wounds. They, they were so close to Jesus, closer than you and I would ever be. There was so much proof, so much evidence about who God was, and yet, Some doubted. Some doubted. I I hope that encourages you. I I hope you know that you're in good company when you doubt. That even though you might not have all the answers, even though there might be this lingering thing that you just can't explain and you don't really understand and I don't know why and you go through a season in your life and and it hurts and it's painful and you doubt you're in good company. So I hope that encourages you. But here's what I want you to see. Even though the disciples doubted, it didn't stop them from worshiping. Even though the disciples had some doubts, it didn't stop them from worshiping. That's what we do. When we doubt, we pull back from God. But what I want us to see from the disciples is that when they're preoccupied with doubt, They don't allow it to prevent their worship of God, but they press in further to the presence of God and praise him even more. And so when you're going through something and you say, I don't know the answer. I don't know if I can figure this out. I don't really know why this is happening. Here's what I do know, that when I'm faced with doubt, my God in the past has delivered me. That when I'm facing uncertainty, I serve an unfailing God. That when my faith is met with mistrust, I can trust that God made a way and he'll make a way again. Don't let your doubt prevent your praise. So what we see from the disciples when they meet Jesus at the mountain is that their circumstances don't determine whether or not they're going to worship God. But they worship God in the midst of their circumstances For some of you right now, what you're going through, the answer to get out of it or to learn something from it is to praise God. God, I'm I'm struggling right now, but I'm going to praise you because you're good. God, God, I don't have all the answers right now. I wish I knew why this was happening, but I'm going to praise you in the midst of this because you're good. Praise is the answer for so many of us through what we're going through. Don't allow your doubt to stop you from pressing in to God. And then we see the, the end of this passage here, Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, therefore, he said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because of that, because I'm over everything you may face and may fear, I'm over it. You don't have to worry about it. Therefore, because all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you a task that seems impossible. And without me, it is, but I'm going to promise to be with you. Therefore, here's what I want you to do. Because this is what God cares about most. Because this is what he values most, his lost kids coming home. What I want you to do is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You know, I need to... Take a moment to say that for some of you, you are God's lost kids. You've been living in darkness. You've been lost. And today, God is calling you home. He's saying, no matter what you've done, I love you and I welcome you back. I run to you and I rejoice and I celebrate that you're home.
Maybe you've never made the decision to accept Jesus. To say, God, I want the forgiveness you offer. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. The way that we do that is by simply believing that Jesus died for us on the cross. That he rose again from the dead. By saying, God, I'm going to follow you. Because I've been following my own way and it's gotten me where I am and I don't like it. So I want to follow your way. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make you the leader of my life. And by being immersed into him, by being baptized into him. In two weeks, we're going to be setting up a hot tub right over here where we're going to be baptizing people. Maybe you need to be one of those people who get baptized, where you say, I'm tired of running, I'm tired of living in the darkness, but I'm coming to my heavenly Father who loves me, and I'm ready to live in the light. If you need to make that decision, we want to make it easy for you. When you came in, you received a program. At the bottom of that program is a Connect card. At the bottom of the Connect card, there's a box that says, I want to accept Christ and be baptized. Would you fully fill that out, mark that box, and drop it off at the table at the back that says, I have decided? We've got some people there who would love to talk with you about baptism and, and, and talk with you more about that decision. But this is why Jesus came, for you, for you, to seek and save that which was lost, so that you would no longer be lost anymore, but you would be found. Uh, in a little while, we're going to observe communion. Uh, where we're going to have people from our VIP team come down. They're going to pass out trays, and those trays are stacks of cups. The bottom cup has some bread that represents Jesus' body. The top cup has some juice that represents his blood. And we take communion to remind ourselves that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And if you're a Christian this morning, it's a reminder that you've been forgiven. And if you're not, those elements are there to remind you that the God of the universe loves you and he died for you. You know, Jesus, in this final command that he gives us in Matthew 28, he calls us um, to a purpose that seems impossible, to seek and save that which was lost. But he says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you when you do this. And because of that, I always want Jesus to be with me. I want Jesus' presence to always be with me. So I've made it my mission, just as a Christian, to seek and save that which was lost. That's what I'm going to live for, because I'm surrounded by lost people. You're surrounded by lost people. I'm surrounded by people who are living in the dark and need to know the love of their Heavenly Father. And you're surrounded by those same people. Also, um, I always want God's presence to be with us as a church. That's why uh, our mission as a church is that we're a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. That's what we, that's what we live for. That's, that's why we exist as a church. Well, I'm not lost anymore. I'm saved. I'm found. I guess I need to go to another church and go get fed there. No. You need to join Jesus in his mission to seek and save that which was lost and not go see how you can... Come on. Jesus didn't come so that the found could be fed. He didn't say that. He said, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. I care so much about the lost person. I'll leave the 99. My presence will leave the 99 to go find the one lost one. You join the team, you get involved, and you start helping this church accomplish its mission to see people far from God raise the true life. Because this is our mission, because this is our goal, I've been thinking a lot about um, our aim <clears throat> this year and um, how do we reach more people? How do we expand the kingdom of God in our area? So I want to tell you about a couple things that we have coming up ways that we're going to practically live this out, and I'm going to ask you to join us in this. Um, one of the things that we did when we launched was we did a lot of marketing to get the word out. Uh, the scriptures say, how can, how can someone be saved unless somebody tells them? How can somebody tell them unless they go and are sent? Um, one of the ways that we get the word out is through marketing and advertising. And uh, one of our goals this year is to do more marketing than we've ever done before to get the word out. Now, the best form of marketing is you. It's you going to the people in your life and saying, hey, would you, would you come to church with me? It's the best form of marketing. It's free, too. But we're going to put some money into it as well to reach our city. I want to tell you about one big thing that we have uh, coming up. And again, I want you to, to get involved in this. Um, on March 12th, we're going to show our community love by uh, hosting an Easter egg drop at Ghent Elementary School. Uh, we've talked with city officials. I've met with the principal of Ghent. And um, on March 12th, we're going to have a helicopter drop 
20,000 eggs on the field there. Uh, we're going to give away flat screen TVs, uh, seasons passes to bush gardens, uh, ocean breeze, give away some Fitbits. It's going to be big. It's going to be huge. We're going to have food trucks there, um, tons of candy. And when we've talked with other churches that have done this all around the country, um, we've gotten all this information. And so for this event, we're expecting at least 2,000 people to show up for this. We're going to, yeah, we're going to do a ton of marketing for it, radio ads, mailers, posters, um, tons of things to get the word out for this. Uh, but our goal is to see 2,000 people. And that, I mean, that's an amazing experience to possibly and potentially reach over 2,000 people in our community just to show them love and to let them know, hey, we're here. We're a church in downtown Norfolk, and we want to we show you how much God loves you. And so this is a huge effort. In order for us to pull this off, it's going to take our entire church going all in. It's going to take volunteers the day of. It's going to take setting things up, cleaning up. It's going to take being there to answer questions for people, to help people. Uh, it, this is a huge event. And so uh, I want to ask you to join with us in this because we can't do it without you. I mean, I can't, I can't be there by myself being like, hey, everybody. <laughs> It's going to take all of us going all in, and we're doing this to show love to our community and so that people far from God would be raised to true life. At the end of the worship experience, here's what I'm asking you to do. If you'll help us out with this, you don't have to think about it. You can do it. Stop by the orange tables. We're going to have a form for you to sign up at um, where you just put your name and information, and we'll get in touch with you and talk to you more about being on a team. It, it, we've estimated it's going to take at least 70 volunteers to pull this off and to make it great. Things from parking people, uh, to greeting people, to manning bounce houses, um, cleanup, setup, all that stuff. And so at the end of the worship experience, stop by the orange tables, there should be a long line of people waiting to sign up for this. But that's just one of the things that we're gonna do. Uh, we've brainstormed and talked about other creative ways of marketing. One way that you can uh, help get the word out now is we have bumper stickers at the black tables as you exit. If you haven't put one on your car yet, why not? It's time to do it. They look good. They look good. So, so stop by and pick up a bumper sticker. And we'll tell you about other marketing ways that we have. But, but we just decided that we're going to be a church that reaches people who aren't part of a church. Because the city of Norfolk has a quarter of a million people in it, 250,000 people. The seven cities have 1.4 million people. The national average for church attendance is 124 people by, for, per church. If you are really generous and just say, let's quadruple that number and say every church in the seven cities has 496 people in it, which they don't, then you get about 26% of the population who's a part of a church, about three, 364,000 people who are part of a church. And it sounds like a lot. It sounds impressive. But it means that there's, that there's 1,036,000 people who are not a part of a church. Over a million people are not a part of a church, so 74%. And we said we're starting this church to see the 74% come to know Jesus, to seek and save that which was lost. We're going to do whatever it takes to reach them. Because I want God's presence to always be in this church. And that's what we're always going to be about. Now, I don't want you to think about reaching the city for Christ. Forget about reaching the seven cities for Jesus. I don't even know what that looks like. But here's what I do know. You know somebody in the 74%. It's your boss. It's a person you work with. It's somebody in your family. It's a friend that you hang out with on a weekly basis. Here's what I want us to focus on. Here's what I want you to focus on. Not reaching the city for Christ, but reaching your friend for Jesus. Reaching the person you sit next to in school, in class, reaching them reaching your husband, reaching your kids, reaching your Facebook friends from college, because you know people in the 74%. What if every person in here decided, I'm going to reach out to just one person and bring them? And then what if we expanded that by 10? What if you just said, I'm going to bring 10 people over the course of this year to come meet Jesus? Because we're a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. The greatest thing you and I can give our lives to is to seek and save that which was lost. I don't know if you noticed um, when you came in, but we set out a ton of chairs. 
And um, we wanted to set out, uh, we set out every chair that we have, actually. Um, it's 188 chairs. And we set them out because I wanted you to see empty seats like I see them. When you see an empty seat, I don't know what you think of, but I want to show you what I think of. When I see an empty seat, like this seat here, this is a seat that's reserved for a 16-year-old girl who thinks that her worth is found in how much she weighs. And she needs to be sitting here to know that her dress size doesn't determine her worth. But there's a Savior who came so that she can know that she's worth his life because he gave it for her. And then these, these two seats over here, I see these, these are reserved um, for a married couple who their, their marriage right now is so brittle, it's on the brink of being broken. And not only have they thought about divorce, but they've said the word divorce several times. And they need to be here to meet a redeemer who can restore them and resurrect their marriage. This seat over here, I, I, I just see it, and I, I see it as being reserved. <clears throat> this is for a 24-year-old guy who is secretly seeking something to satisfy in his life, and he acts like he has everything together. He acts like it's all good, but he's looking in all the wrong places, and he needs to be sitting here so that he can discover the Savior who satisfies but he's not here. He's not here. These two seats over here. The, these seats are reserved for a couple parents who are just struggling to make it through the week. They are bombarded with busyness. And they just pray that their kid is going to make it. They hope they're doing it right. And they need to be here so that they can meet the light of the world who can help them navigate through the darkness. But they're not here. I see, I see this seat right here. This is a seat for the person that you work with. And they come to work, go home and drink. Come to work, Go home and drink. Come to work. Go home and drink over and over and over again. And this is the hopeless cycle that they're stuck in. And they need to know that there's more to life than that. But that's an empty seat. That's an empty seat. I think about these seats over here. This is for your friend who doesn't believe in God because at one time when I was young and what about this and I don't understand this and my grandma really loved Jesus and she died and why did that happen? And this seat is for them so that they can know that there's a God who loves them and the God that they don't believe in isn't the real God anyway, but they have a heavenly father who gave his son for them so that they could have life. But they're not here. They're not here. It's empty. And this seat here is for his teenage son who doesn't have any vision in his life. And instead of allowing the God of the universe to lead him, he's allowing his friends to lead him, and they're leading him to destruction. He needs to be sitting here so that he can see that there is a greater vision God has for his life. But it's an empty seat. It's an empty seat. I wanted to set out all these chairs because I wanted you to see that we have 188 of them. I wanted you to see that we have the capacity to fill this room. We have the space for more people, but they're not going to get here unless we bring them. And you know somebody who needs to be sitting next to you today. You know somebody who needs to be in that seat, and they're not, because you haven't brought them. 
It's not a guilt trip, it's a challenge. When Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples, he might have meant it. Because his mission was to seek and save that which was lost. And I want to show you how easy it is to live out this command. It's as simple as going to the people in your life, your friends, the people in your family, the people you work with, and saying, listen, we sit next to each other all throughout the week. Would you just come to church and sit with me? It's simple, really. Just that feeling. Knowing you're not alone, that there's someone there, someone to hear you, to listen to you, to see you, to sit with you. We live in a crowd, but it's so easy to feel alone. A moment, though, a shared moment, can make that crowd feel awfully small. A good story, a meal with friends, a long drive. It's simple, really. An open seat and an invitation. So come, sit with me. Yeah. And so it's simple, really, to live out this command. It's a tough teaching of Jesus. Many of us find it hard to do, but it's as simple as saying, sit with me. When you leave, we want to equip you to do this. And so our greeters on our VIP team are going to be standing at the back, and they're going to have cards that say, sit with me on them. They're going to give you four or five of them. I want you to take them and then give them to somebody this week and say, hey, this is your personal invitation to sit with me this Sunday. Sit with me this Sunday. You know somebody who needs to be sitting next to you. As we take communion, I want you to pray for that person. Ask God to prepare their heart to say yes, to come and sit with you next week. And if they say no, keep asking them. Keep bringing them. Because we got the space. We just got to say sit with me. God, thank you so much for how much you loved us, that you sought us out, you searched after us, and now we're found. God, there are people that we know, that we see on a daily basis, who are missing out on the life you've called them to. People who are walking towards hell. God, let us have the courage to extend, extend the simple invitation to sit with us next Sunday so they can find life, so they can be raised up to true life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, Sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.